Well, good morning, everyone. Let's add my welcome to the welcome John gave. Uh, today, we would say, is the 29th of March, 2015. Why? Why 2015? Where does that come from? Next weekend, our nation is going to have two days of, well, most of us, some of you probably are nurses or something and have to keep working, sorry, thanks. But most of us are going to have two extra days of public holiday. Why? Like it or not, it's all because of one man, Jesus. But who is this one man? What can we make of him? Who is he? That's the question most people had on their minds in a Middle Eastern city called Jerusalem around 2,000 years ago. I don't know if you've ever played this uh, who am I kind of games. We play one often in my family at Christmas time where you all have to look really uh, silly and stick a post-it note on your head. Uh, you have a name of some kind of character. Um, some people hate these kind of games. You, I don't know if you're in that camp or, or whether you love it. You love the excitement of having a name on your head that uh, you have to guess who that is. Am I male? Am I female? Am I real? Am I fictional? Am I a film star? You know the kind of game? You're working out, who am I, based on the evidence, the answers to the questions that you're given. Well, this is kind of what we're going to do this morning. We're going to look at who is Jesus based on some evidence. And we're doing that by looking in a book called Luke's Gospel, uh, which is what we've been working through as a church. We like to go through books of the Bible and see what God says to us in them. And we're looking at a Bible called Luke. And Luke, a, a book called Luke, Luke is a collection of eyewitness accounts. Um, if you want to read what I'm about to read, it's the beginning of Luke. It's page 1025. It's not our main thing for this morning. But I just want to show you that Luke has written this book so that we can know the evidence about who Jesus is. Luke is a historian. And he writes in chapter 1, verse 1, to the very beginning of Luke's gospel, Many have undertaken to draw up an account of the things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. Therefore, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, it seemed good also to me to write an orderly account for you, for a certain person, so that you may know the certainty of the things you've been taught. Luke is a credible historian writing down evidence. So we're going to see what evidence uh, we can look at particularly this morning in chapter 19 of Luke's book um, about who Jesus is. Uh, chapter numbers are the big numbers in the Bible and verse numbers are the smaller ones in superscript higher up um, and we're looking at chapter 19 verse 28 so it's on page 1054. If you want to look up any other books in the Bible that I mentioned there is a contents page at the beginning but we're looking at Luke chapter 19 Page 1054, and we're going to read from verse 28. It's uh, very convenient we're looking at this passage today, because today we uh, often call Palm Sunday, referring to the day when these kind of events happened that we're reading of now in relation to events that happen later that we'll reflect on on Friday this week. Luke 19, verse 28. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, tell him, 
The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. Perhaps some geographical knowledge will help us here to understand what's going on. So Jerusalem is a city that uh, we might call the capital city of the Jewish people. Most importantly, it was the home of their temple, the place where God's presence was said to dwell among his people. It was also the city of the king. And in Luke's gospel, Jesus has been journeying here since chapter 9, way back in chapter 9, verse 51. Bethpage and Bethany are two villages located just to the east of Jerusalem on a range of hills on the outskirts of the city. And uh, the Mount of Olives, which as we'll see in a moment is an important place, is a mountain range east of Jerusalem. It runs north and south for two and a half miles. There's three main peaks there. It's kind of Snowdonia sort of size, a bit smaller than Snowdonia, not as high as Snowdon. But uh, uh, that kind of mountainous area. And the Mount of Olives was about half a mile's walk from Jerusalem, less than the distance from here to Southampton Common. We'll think about more about the Mount of Olives later. But first, do you notice anything slightly unusual in those verses that I read? Anything a bit weird? Well, isn't it a bit weird that, in fact, maybe you think the donkey thing's a bit weird, the cult. But also, isn't it a bit weird that Jesus knew the, de- the details of this? Jesus knew that they would find this cult in a particular place, a cult that no one had ever ridden. He knew that the owner would come and ask them, why are you untying it? That might be obvious, you say. But he knew also that if the disciples said the Lord needs it, the owner would let them take it. And we see just a beginning, a hint here of a recurring theme in Luke's Gospel of Jesus' control over the events that happened, the events leading up to his death. You might remember a few weeks ago when Sim, uh, if you've been here before, Sim was speaking to us and showing us something of that Jesus' control over the events leading up to Jesus' death. Well, here we've got that, this total knowledge of this cult's location, the fact that it's tied up, the fact that it's not ridden, the fact that what the owner would say and how they could get hold of it. And this is a theme that runs through Luke's Gospel. If you just flick a few pages over to chapter 22... Uh, you'll see in verse 7 of chapter 22 how this theme continues. Then the day of unleavened bread came on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, go and make preparations for us to eat the Passover. Where do you want us to prepare for it, they asked. He replied, as you enter the city, a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him to the house that he enters and say to the owner of the house, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large room upstairs, all furnished, make preparations there. They left and found things just as Jesus had told them. Or later on in chapter 22, verses 20 to 22, after the supper he took the cup saying, this cup is a new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you, but the hand of him who's going to betray me is with mine on the table. The son of man will go as it's been decreed, but woe to that man who betrays him. Or later on, verses 31 to 34, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you all as wheat, but I have prayed for you, Simon, that your faith may not fail, and when you have turned back, strengthen your brothers. 
But he replied, Lord, I'm ready to go with you to prison and to death. Jesus answered, I tell you, Peter, before the cock crows today, you will deny three times that you know me. Finally, verse 37, it is written, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And I tell you that this must be fulfilled in me. Yes, what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment. And as someone has said, there's a divine design in these events. God had planned these events before the creation of the world. And now we see him working that plan out. When Jesus says, it's written here, and what is written about me is reaching its fulfillment, he's referring to the Old Testament, what is written in the Old Testament part of the Bible. And we see some of that being fulfilled in these verses that we're looking at this morning. Even the fact that Jesus is standing on the Mount of Olives could be significant. As Zechariah, one of the Old Testament prophets, spoke of the, of, of the Messiah, the, the, the promised one who was going to come and rescue God's people, appearing on the Mount of Olives. It was also a place that Jesus would return to, to weep and pray to his father moments before he was betrayed and then crucified. It was also the place from which Jesus returned to his father after the resurrection. The Mount of Olives was a special place, but there's other special things going on here. You might not think it. You might wonder what's so special about this Jewish figure sitting on a little donkey. What's so special about this group of, 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 uh, of peasants, scruffy, scruffy group. You might think this is some kind of comedy sketch. But Zechariah 9, verse 9, tells us something else is going on. Zechariah, an Old Testament prophet, written long before these events happening. Zechariah 9, verse 9 says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. This is part of a prophecy of God bringing peace to his people and peace to the nations. The prophecy continues, I will take away the chariots from Ephraim, the war horses from Jerusalem. The battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. The Lord their God will save his people on that day as a shepherd saves his flock. They will sparkle in his land like jewels in a crown. How attractive and beautiful they will be. Grain will make the young men thrive and new wine the young women. Jesus is on the Mount of Olives where the Messiah was to appear. Jesus is about to ride into Jerusalem on a colt, the foal of a donkey. If you were there, if you knew the prophecy of Zechariah, you might just be getting goosebumps on your arm. What's going to happen next? Could this possibly be the one who God had spoken about through the prophets? Let's read on and find out. They brought the colt to Jesus threw their cloaks on the colt and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down to the Mount of Olives, 
the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Nice little dramatic reenaction for you there. Oh, <laughs> okay. That wasn't part of the plan. Uh, no one had mobiles then. So here's Jesus entering in and the crowds shouting out those uh, words we were just hearing. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna. Well, uh, we hear from uh, other parts, other, other gospels, other accounts. Hosanna, which is a Hebrew word meaning God save us. We've sung it already earlier. We heard the people crying out and people spreading their cloaks on the road. This is the kind of thing you do for a king. But if we had any doubts remaining about what was going on, the people are crying out a direct quote from Psalm 118. Psalm 118, verses 25 to 26, says, Lord, save us, Hosanna. Lord, grant us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. From the house of the Lord, we bless you. And these words were customarily sung as part of going up to the temple. Uh, typically, the king would be leading people and re- to the temple and receiving a greeting from the priests, a welcome probably after the king had had won some kind of victory and the greeting, the blessing from the temple, from the priests, recognized that the king came with the Lord's approval. And so it should have been in Jesus' day. So it should have been on this occasion. He should be welcomed as the leader and and the king, God's king. But there's something different about this event. And as we saw last week, Luke's told a story to to get rid of the idea that the kingdom was going to come in power at once. Jesus has just said that story. Because this king's victory was yet to be seen. This battle hadn't yet reached its climax, which it will do on Friday around lunchtime. Where some in the crowds today were shouting, Hosanna! Well, Friday, by Friday, they would have shouted, crucify him. Where where the disciples who today shout for joy, on Friday, they'll be weeping and crying in pain and disappointment. Today, Jesus is carried into Jerusalem by a donkey as the king who brings the long-expected hope to the nation. In five days' time, his own cross will be carried out of Jerusalem by Jesus, rejected by the nation, viewed as a blasphemer, an imposter. There's different reactions to him going on all through this story. Who is Jesus? Who is this man? Doubtless, there were some in the crowds who were superficial in their praise There's probably some of us here today who are superficial. We just come along, but our heart isn't there. But Luke says that the disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. 
These disciples weren't village idiots. They had been presented with clear evidence. They'd seen a whole host of miracles. Just read through Luke's gospel to see some of those. They'd been presented with that kind of evidence. They'd been presented with the evidence of just now, the details of finding this cult. They'd been presented with evidence. And they believed that Jesus was that king, the promised king. So their response was joyful praise. Another response, I don't know if you heard David's cry earlier, another response was that of the Pharisees, a different kind of response. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. The Pharisees were the Jewish religious leaders. What was their issue? Why did they demand that Jesus rebuke and tell off his disciples? Let's just look back to verse 14 and the story Jesus was telling that we saw last week about a king coming. And it says, but some of his subjects hated him. Sorry, it said, but his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. The Pharisees were those who hated him, who rejected him. Even trying to kill him. Have a look ahead to verse 47 of chapter 19. Every day Jesus was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it because all the people hung on his words. There's two responses to Jesus here. The response of recognizing who he is, looking at the evidence, and a response of praise. God's promised king, welcoming the king. Or there's the response of the Pharisees, rejecting him. Not wanting him as king. Jesus goes on to say, though, I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. If the disciples don't speak, then creation will. These inanimate objects, someone has said, have a better perception of what God is doing than do the people who Jesus came to save. What the leadership couldn't see, what the Pharisees couldn't see, Jesus says even creation can see that. It's possible that there may be a reference to the stones here, the stones in the temple, that the temple cries out knowing who Jesus is. But whichever response we have, the two responses, the response of recognizing the evidence, welcoming the king, praising the king, or the response of rejecting him. We see very clearly in the second part of this passage that there are consequences to rejection of Jesus. Please have a look at verses 41 to 44. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, if you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus is not indifferent towards the nation. He's not indifferent towards the Pharisees The term here for tears, and Jesus crying these tears, is strong. It's referring to full sobbing or or wailing. Jesus wants to bring peace. If you had only known, 
implies that he wishes they had known. It would have pleased Jesus if they'd known. He wanted them to recognize who he is and repent and be restored. Elsewhere, in one of the Old Testament prophets, God says, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Why will you die? God wants people to repent, to turn back to him, to ask for his forgiveness. Earlier in Luke's gospel, Luke records Jesus telling three beautiful stories to show how much joy it brings to God when a sinner repents. How much God rejoices when someone who has rejected him turns back to him and is restored. What about me? What about you? I wonder how you feel, how you think Jesus feels about you today. Might he be weeping that you're again hearing his terms of peace? Here he is offering peace to Jerusalem. And it's being rejected. Might he be weeping? That again, you're hearing of his terms of peace offered to you through his cross. And again, it's being rejected. You've still not received his terms of peace. Or is there joy in heaven today? Because you've recognized your need of peace with God. And you've repented, turned back to him. And received his offer of peace. Trusting in the salvation that Jesus brings. Jesus is not unmoved by what's going on here. And with the benefit of looking back at past events, we can know that this judgment on Jerusalem did come. The city was destroyed by Rome in AD 70. Jesus was speaking about these events some 37 to 40 years before they happened. Again, knowing what's going to happen in the future. But this judgment did come. He came to bring peace. And, and though the city rejected his peace, as a result faced destruction. When God offers, when God seeks peace with us and is rejected, only judgment remains. This was a reality for Jerusalem. What about us? What about you? And I plead with you today to recognize God's offer of peace to receive his terms of peace, coming through Jesus, through Jesus' death on the cross, recognizing the time of God's coming to you, recognizing that the one who appeared on that mountain outside of Jerusalem, the one who was on that donkey, the one who everyone was cheering, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord, that he is, in fact, the king. Today, receive God's terms of peace. If you want to explore this and look a bit more into who Jesus is, then uh, there's a course that we're about to start after Easter called Christianity Explored. Uh, Lou is just about to stand up as if it was planned. And um, you can see Lou afterwards. She'll be at the back there if you want to register your interest in coming along to that course to find out a bit more about who Jesus is. But for now, uh, I'm going to pray and then hand back over to Lord, we thank you that you came to save, that you came to give peace. Father, I thank you that you so love the world that you gave your one and only son that whoever believes in him might have life and not perish.
Thank you that the Lord Jesus came as king, yes, but the king who offered terms of peace. And I pray for all of us here today that we might know and receive that offer. That we might become your willing subjects. And not reject you and face the consequences. And Lord, we worship you because you are the king. The promised one, the one who would come and bring hope for your people, hope for the nations. For all who put their trust in you. The one who brings that restoration. And Lord, pray that you'd help us to reflect on these things over this week and in the days to come. Amen.